0: Jesus left Judea and started to go back to Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sisha. It was near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews, you see, didn't share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink. You would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them, will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water from the well. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him I have no husband Jesus said to her You're right in saying I have no husband For you've had five husbands And the one you have now is not your husband What you have said is true The woman said to him Sir I can see that you are a prophet Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain here But you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem Jesus said to her Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You see, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation comes from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is actually now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such as these In worship. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he. The one who is speaking to you just then his disciples came they were astonished that he was speaking with the woman but no one said what do you want or why are you speaking with her then the woman left her water jars and went back to the city she said to the people come and see a man who has told me everything i've ever done he cannot be the messiah can he Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat, have they? Jesus said to them, My food is not, is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say four more months and then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around. The harvest is ready. The fields are ripe. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reap. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labour. Others have laboured and you have entered into their labour. Many Samaritans from that city believed him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done, she said. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed for two more days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. We have now heard for our very selves, and we know that this is truly the saviour of the world. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, For the word of God within us. These readings are getting longer and longer. Next week's will be even longer than this one. And more and more confusing. Look, there's a whole bunch of stuff we could talk about with this reading. It it wasn't written to us. We don't know anything about Samaritans and Jews. We don't know anything about Jacob's well. We don't know anything about... um, Worshipping on this mountain or that mountain, it's a whole world that we don't understand. But it is full of shocking detail if we did understand it. A man talking to a woman, a woman by herself. Unheard of. No wonder the disciples were so shocked they couldn't even ask questions. The bit I'm interested in, because we could, you know, go through a history lesson of all of these sort of things, and it is pretty fascinating, But the bit I'm interested in is where Jesus says, God is spirit and those who worship God must worship in spirit and truth. Now this is the only place where Jesus is this explicit about what he's going on about. What does he mean, God is spirit? He's saying it in response to an ongoing argument that had been going long before Jesus or the woman from Samaria, whose name we don't know, were born, which is this argument about who's got the right theology, who's got the right understanding of God and where God should be approached. Is it on this mountain that they were sitting on, or is it in Jerusalem? Frankly, couldn't care less. Doesn't mean anything to me. But it meant a huge amount of people there. And there's lots of things that mean many things to us that we are willing to go to the barricades over. The, the church is splintered into piles of different denominations for this very reason. We've been so willing to go to the barricade over something that we will split and divorce ourselves from each other and end up in smaller and smaller groups. So this might not be much, this particular thing. But that breaking apart, we know that all the time. Not just in the church, of course. But all in our culture. So what does he mean in response to this decision about where you should do the right thing? God is spirit. It's got to be something that, because God, he doesn't say God is a spirit. There's no qualifier. It's just God is spirit. It's this, the, and the word for spirit could mean breath. It can mean wind. It's got, it's got all kinds of meanings. It's, see, whatever, whatever Jesus is talking about, He's talking about something that doesn't have materiality about it. Because maybe He's doing it in relation to where you're supposed to go to do the right thing. On this mountain or that one. It's the, somehow, whatever God is, is an essence. Something other than material. A deeper experience than we can have from materiality. Jesus used the word father all the time when he talked about God, not because he thought God was male, or that fathers were better than mothers, but because in his culture, the father was the primary person in culture. Was, was not the individual as we understand the world to be, but the father who was, was, was part teacher, part policeman, uh, part priest, part lawyer, uh, all of these things combined together, the, the Father was the, the pinnacle of the culture, and everyone did everything in relation to the Father. So when Jesus was trying to talk about the essence of what God was like, it was this totality, because in the family of, the, of, the, of this period of time, the father was the be-all and end-all, the lawgiver of everything, and and every decision was made in relation to the father or by the father, and everyone was responsible to and covered by and protected by the father. So it's this idea of the of ultimate reality, and and a number of of theologians and writers have tried to grapple with terms for this. So we hear terms like ultimate reality, um, God is ultimate concern, or God is the ground of being, the the essential nature of everything. This is what I try and find when when I'm trying to put this down into words. I reckon we could talk about God again not as a person but as the uncontainable essentially mysterious intimate structure of the universe. The uncontainable essentially mysterious intimate structure of the universe. That's why It doesn't make any sense to talk about where you should worship God. It's all about something completely different. It's a little bit like being asked, where should you go to breathe? What? Well, there's the right place to breathe and the wrong place. No, there's not. There's just the joy of being able to do so. If you've ever had asthma you know there's a great joy in in being able to breathe freely. And you can do it anywhere. And right now, until some capitalist tries to figure out a different system, it's free. It's so free that it's just everywhere, all the time. You woke up this morning breathing. You breathed all through the night. You didn't even know you were doing it. So the idea of asking where's the right place to breathe... Just sounds like utter nonsense, and I reckon Jesus is in that boat. When she says, "Well, we 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 do it here, and you do it there, and we don't," you know, we're still fighting. Jesus looks at that and goes, "I don't even know what she's talking about. This is this is not my experience of the ultimate reality of the universe. That it's some kind of entity that can only be approached in a certain way, at a certain time, in a certain place." It's like asking a fish to tell you about their experience of water. They they don't know anything about it and yet they know everything about it. It's quite a different thing. And of course we divide all the time because we somehow think our identity is in the things we say and do or what we wear or the groups we're in. So we've had a history, a terrible history of despair and hurt, Christians against Jews, Muslims and Christians against each other, Protestants against Catholics, believers against unbelievers, and terrible tortures for people who don't say the right thing in the right way at the right time. Our church, the United Church, is split right down the middle over whether or not you would be allowed to marry someone you love if they happen to be from the same gender. As if these are the essential things of life. As if what I believe about these things, or what I think about them, is so important that it will divorce me from you because you believe the wrong thing about it. And of course, the church—we love to fight about sex. So most, because you know, the Bible is Jesus spoke about sex all the time, didn't he? Was very keen. Didn't at all, did he? He didn't seem to care anything about it. He was much more interested in money and power and how it was being abused over and over again. And he was much more interested in the people who were being abused by power and money and spent so much time with them that he got a reputation of being a drunk, of being an agitator. And that's what finally did him down, wasn't it? What if he's right? What if? What if it's like this? Look at this. This is the Quran. What if all you knew about the world was the Quran itself, the water in between the dunes? You would know everything about how calm it is most of the time, unless it's windy. How shallow it is, and you could have all kinds of arguments about how best to to deal with it, how best to eat from it, how best to look after it. All without knowing that across the other side of the dune is the great wide ocean. And I reckon we spend so much of our time and I think Jesus is attacking that idea right in this story, amongst many other things this story is about. Living on the Quran without any idea But just across, and if you've ever been to the Kurong, it's an extraordinary place. If you haven't been, you've got to go. People come from all over the world to see it. It's one of the great wonders of the world. Scientists come all the time to see the Kurong, and I know it's often in trouble, and it's in trouble at the moment. And don't let's get started on the Murray-Darling Basin Plan, um, whatever it's going to happen to it. Uh, But it's certainly not treating the Kurong very well. But when you go there, it's very beautiful. And then there's something about... The first time I ever went there, I went across the Kurong on a little boat, dead, flat, calm and quiet. It was a warm day. And then I climbed over the little dune and the roaring wind and waves just hit me. It's a completely different place. The Kurong is water. The ocean is the ocean. And they need to go together, of course. But I wonder how much time we're spending... Narrowing, controlling, keeping our little thing. Meanwhile, the ocean is waiting for us. That, that's probably enough, eh? Yeah.